Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another Swan Eagle Files. Today, I have with me a special guest, VR Small. She's helping a lot of women entrepreneurs and veterans achieve more and get more recognition for what they do. So, how's it going today, V? It's great. How are you? If I could get used to this Texas weather, I would be great right now. But it's 80 degrees today, and just the other day, there was ice on the ground. This is the craziest weather I've ever seen. It really is not been catching something and getting rid of it and catching it again because I'm also here in Texas. So it's just been this up and down. So I'm, I'm waiting for the weather to just settle in, let's do spring, summer, whatever you're going to do, let's do it. <laughs> Don't get up to 110 again, though, please. Yeah, that okay. I, I can live with that, too. <laughs> so if you can, can you explain uh, why did you join the military? Well, honestly, um, I had spent a lot of time in college or really in high school years studying music. I really wanted to get into the entertainment. So I did advance, you know, journalism and literature, English lit, and I was writing. And I had an opportunity to get a um, four-year scholarship to North Texas State. Didn't, at that time, was the music school. Um, But I was 17 and my mom was totally against me going to school for four years for music. Because she felt like I already knew how to sing. What was this all about? So she didn't get the in-depth <laughs> study of music. And so I had this, this interest in journalism and I had this interest in law. And I thought, you know what? I should become a JAG officer. I'm going to go to the Naval Academy and I'm going to become a JAG officer. And I'm minor in journalism. So I'll still be able to do both of my loves and put them together. And of course, you know, in the legal world, there's a lot of writing and I was already into speaking and theater. So I was like, look, I can do this. It's not going to be that hard. So I went to my recruiter and, you know, told him what I wanted to do. And unfortunately, my recruiter, who was an enlisted recruiter, told me I needed a school to get a school. And he sold me on being a corpsman, which at that time was something critical in the Navy. Of course, I didn't need a school to get a school. I needed a different recruiter. Um, and when my stepdad came to sign off for me because they didn't want me to go into the Navy, he didn't say anything. Like, he didn't hit me to like, hey, you're in the wrong place. If that's what you want to do, you need to go over here. He was like, ah, you want to do this? Go ahead and do it. So off I went to uh, boot camp. I went to one of the first co-ed boot camps in um, Orlando, Florida. So boot camp was great. I, I did cadence for my uh, captain, who also um, was a cadence caller. And the next thing I knew, I was being invited to join the choir. So I got pulled out of my troop. And instead of like marching with them in the hot sun in Florida, I was in the air conditioning room practicing songs for all of the graduations. So great. <laughs> being that I'm an army brat, my mom used to be fierce about, you know, yelling and screaming and everything had to be one way. So when I did boot camp, it was an easy tour, like that yelling and screaming, we already had that. You're going to have to go a step up if you want to, you know, beat what my mom used to do. So I graduated mer- meritoriously out of boot camp. I went to 
Hospital Corman School, where I graduated with honors and distinction. And I just kept telling people, Stephen, that I want to be a JAG officer. I want to go to officer school. When I got to San Diego for operating Corman School, my master chief really, you know, took to me and he said, you know, let's put a package together for you and get you to officer school. But by the time they finished the package, I had my duty station orders and my new commander needed to sign off. And so when I got to Oakland, I didn't even unpack. I thought I was going to stay there um, and head on off to Bethesda. And I never thought that my commander wouldn't sign up on my package, but she didn't. She thought I was 17, that I was uh, too immature. And um, that was the beginning of kind of the end for me because like my dream was already kind of swashed. And I spent the next four years just trying to figure out, okay, where do I want to be? Because I didn't want to be in the medical field. I just kind of got tricked into it. And so it was, what do you want to do from here? And I tried a lot of different things. And my commander was there up until my very last year. She kept, you know, knocking down everything I wanted to do. I don't know. I think this woman thought she knew me from another life or something. But anyway, I did my my four years. I did one more year so I could audition for the neighbor band. And that was denied because, again, the corpsman industry was uh, more critical. And so then I said, okay, I'm not up and again. I'm, I'm out because what I want to do, I can't do you know, let me go and figure out, um, find myself in the civilian world. So I spent a lot of time in training. I trained my um, department in clinical investigation on computers. I was really good at typing and writing and everything. So when I got out, easy peasy, I went right into tipping. And I got temp jobs in New York right away. I left California, I moved to New York, and it was just easy. So, so let me ask you, what, was, uh, what branch was your dad again? My dad, my stepfather. Yeah, your stepfather. Army. And he Retired let you join the Vietnam veteran. And he let hmm? you join the Navy. Uh, not let me. He was not a happy trooper. Remember, he signed those papers and didn't tell me I was in the wrong place. He knew that I was college level. I mean, I graduated. When we took the test, I could have did Air Force or I could have did anything I wanted to. And I picked the Navy for a silly reason because I liked their uniform better. And I was like, you got to wear this every day. It needs to be something you at least like. So I liked their uniform better, uh, which was a crazy reason to join the Navy. And I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. And I don't know how that stuck in my head. I think I saw something about a JAG officer. Might have been a movie or something, but it stuck in my head. Hey, I'm going to go to the Naval Academy. I'm going to be a JAG officer. I'm going to spend my 20 years. And then I'm going to open up my own you know, company, law firm, and you know, just keep it moving. So... My path was already set, at least I thought it was. And then I met my commander. <laughs> well, in all honesty, uh, like I did recruiting time three years for the Army. I never lied to a kid. I was honest with them. I was very upfront with them. If you came in and you didn't meet a qualification, we either told you to go or told gave you the resources to get better and come back or, you know, we walked you to another branch if we knew we couldn't work with you ever, but I never had to lie to a kid. And for three years, I forgot how many kids, I forgot how many kids I put in. I say kid, but really not that much younger than me at the time. But, you know, I just, I was always, always trying to be honest because I didn't want them to come back being like, you lied to me, you screwed me. And then gets a bad taste in the community's mouth around there. And it's just like, that's not, that's not the way to do business. So. You know what, you know what I thought, um, Steve, was that, that was partly my fault. You know what I'm saying? When you want to do something, you need to do your research. 
I don't even remember who my recruiter but, was. I couldn't tell you his name to like call him out. I, I, I felt like, you know, I should have known that there was an officer recruiter, you know, being that, you know, you're a straight A student. I, I should have did my research and I just kind of walked in there assuming that somebody else was going to do it for me. Also, there was a bonus that everybody else in boot camp had gotten. And everybody else got their strike coming out of boot camp that signed up for Corman School. But I, he didn't get me my bonus. He didn't get me my strike. Um, and I don't know if him and my dad got together and said, make it as hard as you can for I don't know what was going on there. But he didn't do any of the things for me that most of my colleagues that were going through Corman School, you know, just about everybody had these things. It was like a given. If you signed up for Corman, you got that bonus. You got your stripe if you got out of boot camp. Um, so that's why they meritoriously promoted me and they got me one strike, but everybody else went to E4 coming out. And I was still in E3. Well, I mean, what year did you join though? I'm back in the 80s. So the research wasn't there like it is today, of course. Like, I mean, even when I went in in 2000, well, when I joined 2002, I mean, there still wasn't the ease of access of information like there is nowadays. So I didn't, that's why I chose Scout. I was a Calvary Scout in the Army. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. And I mean, but hindsight 2020, maybe I should have picked something else that would have tran translated to the outside. So, but so how many years did you do? About six, you said? Again, I did that five years and then I did one year reserve. And again, I would have stayed in the reserves, but in New York, um, the only place they had was Fort Hamilton. And, um, we never went there to do my hospital corpsman. Remember, I was a corpsman and I trained as an operating room technician and I finished up in clinical investigations. So our reserve unit was based in Fort Hamilton, but not at the hospital because it was a veterans hospital. It wasn't an active duty hospital. And so um, I never got to do my job. And then every year when I had to do my two weeks, they sent me to a medical hospital and all year I hadn't done anything in an OR. And I was like, I am not going to kill anybody um, <laughs> on this two-week tour because I haven't done any of this all year. And I just thought, this is crazy. Like, I'm not going to grow. I'm not getting exposed. I'm not leaving New York. So there's no hospital for me to really practice in. Um, so I just finally just got out. And they still wouldn't uh, let me switch my MO as a reservist. <laughs> they still wouldn't let me get out of this Corman craft. Wow. That, that's yeah, amazing. They still wouldn't let me get out. So I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so you did your time. You went back to uh, California then? No, I California. I ended up in Balboa, which is where I went to school for operating room technician in San Diego. And then oh. they stationed me in Oakland. So I actually okay. went to New York because remember, I was into entertainment. So I was like, bump it. I'll mm. just do it myself. So I went back to New York to get on Broadway. And funny story, never auditioned for Broadway. <laughs> Started working. And you got to live in New York. It's a hard life. It ain't no joke. And I just kept working to keep a roof over my head and, um, you know, do what I need to take care of myself. I was going to say, I mean, no family out there or nothing. Wouldn't that be a little bit scary? Well, my uncle City? was there. My okay. uncle was there. So when I first came over, I was able to stay with him for a while. Um, but like I said, I started temping right away. And honestly, dude, I was making like a grand a week. Wow. Temping. I was wow. bringing home a grand a week because I typed like 70 some words a minute. So I was working for law firms. You work overtime. You're getting like $25, $30 an hour. Then I started being a supervisor for like other temp groups. Um, that was back in movie time and showtime. Um, 
So Showtime and what is it? Uh, what is it called? Um, the movie network now. What is it? HBO. HBO. That was when they were merging. Oh, okay. I, I actually worked on that project in New York when they were like doing. We were putting in mad overtime, you know, putting in information and and getting all that stuff together. And I remember they were auditioning for Mama I Want to Sing, which turned out to be a really big play in New York. And a couple of my colleagues were in the theater. And he was like, "B, let's go. We got to audition." I was like, nah, they asked me to work and I need to make this money. And I stayed. Um, I don't think anybody got picked, but who knows? That could have been my big break because that was a big uh, theater movie for a long time. It, it went on. So I never auditioned, so you never know because uh, I stayed and worked. Yeah, sometimes you just got to take that leap sometimes, but you just, I mean, never know. I, it's Shoot your shot. You, that one shot might be everything right there. So, it's nobody's fault. It was a decision that I made that, you know, hey, I need to pay rent and I, you know, I need to make this money. And I was living, I had my own apartment then, so I need to pay my bills. So I was like, guys, I need to work. <laughs> and there's no guarantee we're going to get this gig. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've made a decision based off of somebody else, what they said. And I, to this day, it's like, mm, I wish I would have gone with my instinct. And I, I listened to my ex-wife. Let's put it that way. And She's not with me anymore, but yeah, but, I do regret it. I, you know, you know, people say you shouldn't have regrets, but yeah, I do. I think what's it? What's one night of not, mm -hmm. not working? You know, one night to go and audition, and who knows what would have happened? Maybe I didn't get picked, but maybe I met somebody that wanted to start, you know, working with me and get me other opportunities. I mean, just who knows what would have happened because that ended up being such a big production, and it went on for a few years, mm -hmm. so it, it didn't just come and go. Um, my mom on the scene was is, was going on in New York for like two or three years or something before it kind of faded out. So that would have been a great opportunity for exposure and to begin to build your career, to get an agent. I mean, just all of that stuff. So who knows? I was going to say, you're very upbeat and very well-spoken. So I, I, I'm pretty sure you probably would have done very well at the audition, honestly. So, yeah. so, <laughs> um, so you were just kind of bouncing around with temp jobs, and it sounds like they were very successful, though. So uh, how long did that last? Well, actually, all of my temp opportunities, I got offered a full-time job, and I oh, finally okay. took an opportunity with E.F. Hutton um, <laughs> before E.F. Hutton was taken over by Merle Lynch when all of the brokerage firms were merging. And Merle Lynch had their own financial services uh, program, which financial services is where I was working. And I ended up saying, well, you know what? I'm not going to stick around and see if I have a job because I got to pay rent again. I was, you know, by myself. I said, I've got to go get another tip position and go ahead and, and make sure I have money coming in. So I left before everything crumbled because everybody was just waiting to see if they were going to have a job or what Merrill Lynch was going to be. And I started temping and I ended up at Barclays Bank. Great opportunity was um, in their computer services, temping again. And it just turned out um, they were getting ready to hire somebody. And it was so funny because my boss, um, young guy, probably in his 40s or something, pretty cool guy, though, not not overwhelming. And um, I remember he brought me this letter to to do for him, and I typed it up. And there was some errors, but, you know, who am I to, to correct the boss? I'm not going to correct the boss. Mm -hmm. But he brought it back to me with an error that I made. And it just kind of, it kind of nugged me. I was like, dude, Really? Let me show you all the errors you have in this letter. And I like redlined it. 
and gave it back to him saying, you know, do you want me to correct this? Because, you know, it's a temp job. So if you don't want me tomorrow, no biggie. I'm going to get another temp job. And so he read it. And I stood there and I waited on him. And then he looked at me. And he was like, yeah, please make those corrections. And so that was kind of like how we started our relationship that, you know, I can't, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not trying to you know, tell you what to do. I'm just a temp. And so he kept, he offered me the position and the money was so low. I literally laughed. I was like, <laughs> nah, no, thank you. <laughs> and I wow. went back to my desk like, yeah, I'm not going to work for you, dude. And so he started interviewing people around me. He's like, oh, I got an interview today. And I'm like, thumbs up for you guys. If somebody wants that money, go for it. I'm going to get another tip job and keep making good money. And so finally he brought me in and said, what do I have to pay you to get you to stay? And I said, well, what can you pay me? Because a bank, at a certain level, you can only get a certain level. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So he was a vice president. He couldn't really get me the money I wanted, but he maxed me out. And he maxed out my title. Like I was the highest level I could be for him. And I was at the highest pay that I could get at his level. So he couldn't do anymore. And I remember when I went to HR to just sign my paperwork, because I've been temping with him for like 90 days. Uh, the girl looked at my paperwork. She's like, oh, oh no, we don't bring anybody in at that level. Yeah, we don't pay that. And I was like, yeah, you're going to pay that to me. I'm not saying him. So I called my boss. And this is before cell phones. I'm like, can I call the office? And I was like, hey, they're saying you're not going to give me this pay. I mean, you call somebody over here. I'll just come on back. He's like, no problem. So he called HR and, you know, told him, like, give them what we got. We've already done the paperwork. And then they tell me, oh, we need you to take some tests. And I was like, look, people, I'm on lunch. I've already temped for 90 days. I ain't taking no tests. So I call him again, like, dude, you know, handle this or I'm out. Final call. And they're looking at me like, who are you? Because you are breaking all the rules. You don't get this kind of money. You don't get this kind of title just coming through the door. But he broke every rule for me, and I worked really hard for him. And we were like two peas in a pod, really. Like nothing he wanted done, I hadn't already done. He come to my desk and say, did you do this? And I would just look at him like, really, dude? You know I did it. I've already taken care of you. Don't worry about it. So we had a – I, I love working for him. We had a great relationship. Um, and when the bank decided to move down south, I decided, hey, I don't want to go down south. And I started my own company. Uh, which fell because I didn't do my research. So everybody knows, do you research before you start a company? I started my own temp firm, but companies weren't doing temp. And then I ended up needing a job. And I started, I got moved into human services. So a friend of mine was like, hey, they're taking overnight workers and they're paying them $8. And I was like, eight who? I didn't make $8 since I was 17. That's like my first job with Kelly Services, paid me $8 an hour. But hey, I need a job. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to this interview. I'm going to get this job. And the lady is asking me a million questions. Like, lady, really, it's an $8 job. What are you doing? I was getting so annoyed, but I kept my composure. I answered all the questions. And finally, she said, well, I think you're overqualified for this. And only have a supervisory position I think you might be great for. I was so glad I didn't get out of my face because I was so with this woman. And she was taking me through all this for an $8 an hour job. I was like, really? Um, it almost felt racist. Like, you know, really, I need to be disqualified for an $8 an hour job? But she had something bigger in mind for me. And, and sometimes you don't know what people are doing. So you just have to go with the flow. And I went with the flow. And that's how I moved into the nonprofit industry. She brought me in as a supervisor for this residential program. Um, and I loved helping people and serving people. I never went back uh, corporate. I stayed in the nonprofit arena for probably another 10 years. 
And then when I left that, it was like, I need my own company. I need to do my own thing because I was very much into change and, and fixing things. And a lot of people want stuff to just stay the way it is. Even if it could be better, they're like, hey, it's working. Don't change it. And I'm like, no, but it could work better. (laughs) And they're like, no, 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 it's good. Don't change it. No, that, that, and that's very true. It's, you know, people get comfortable and they just want to stay and, you know, they don't, a lot of people are even just scared. Like, like your attitude alone has opened up doors just because your attitude. So if everybody could have your attitude, I mean, we'd be a whole country of successful people, but very few and far between. Thank you. (laughs) You you seem like, like, you seem like you would be the type of person that would just a go-getter, but you're able to describe stuff the way you want and the, and with ease, unlike a lot of people. So you don't beat around the bush. I guess you can say you're just direct and to the point. And that's, yeah, but that can be a negative. <laughs> that's a military thing. And that can be a negative. It can be, but some, some people have gotten so sensitive to straight to the point, And it's just like, it's just, we don't have time for, we don't have time for this. We just need to get it done. So exactly. And I find that happening a lot in meetings. You'll sit there and listen to people kind of run in circles. And then at some point you look at your watch and say, okay, enough of that. We are supposed to do X. Who's going to do A? Who's going to do B? And then people are like, well, who put you in charge? I'm like, look, we got a task. We're running out of time. Um, I'm part of this team, so I need to make sure this team works and nobody else is taking a lead here to get things moving. So I'm going to jump in and get things moving. Um, and not everybody can welcome that, but that's the military mm-hmm. that said, hey, there's a job to get done. Yep. We're not going to sit here and complain about what we don't have. Let's take what we do have and figure out how to make it work. Exactly. Period. Exactly. So all this experience and everything kind of built you up and got you into your own nonprofit organization. What What is your nonprofit organization called? So this is the Veteran Women's Enterprise Center. We are a national initiative with serving women across 30 states. And really our expansion happened during COVID, which was completely unexpected. But our mission is to empower entrepreneurial women associated with the military. And we use that terminology because first and foremost, we serve veterans, but we also serve active duty, reservists, and military spouse. And so when you look at our name and you see veteran, people will immediately reach out to us and say, oh, but can I participate? Do you serve Mm -hmm. me? So we wanted to like make sure that they knew when they saw our name and they read our mission that they were included in what we're doing. And we empower this particular population to scale. So we're not a startup firm. We are kind of the gap filler. And you hear it all the time. Businesses, they fail at five, seven, 10 years. And I always say, why? If they made it five, seven, 10 years, why are they failing? What's missing? Why aren't we undergirding them in a way that they don't fail? And so we want to be that undergird that when a business is hitting a wall, all they're making is 50 or all they're making is a a quarter of a mil. They can't get over a million. We want to help them figure out how to get to that next level so that they don't close a viable business just because they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, a lot of people start a business and they know what they do, but they don't know how to run a business. No, that's true. That's, most people don't know how to run a business. They end up hiring a bunch of people from the outside and they bring them all in. They don't have the capital for it at that point. So so exactly how do you get them to move to a scalable position? So we have four signature programs. 
um, we really got off the ground doing COVID. I'm going to tell you the truth. And in 2016, when I started this, we have a brick and mortar concept. So we really felt like the women needed a touch place. There are, there are programs out there for women veterans. We're not the first and we're not the last, but most of them were virtual. Um, and they were kind of inconsistent. So you might have it in the spring, you might have it in the summer. Um, you're not really sure when it's gonna, you know, kind of emerge. And so you can't really wrap yourself around it. So I wanted to create something that would be there for the women consistently and a place where they could come together. So we created the Veteran Women's Enterprise Center is a real center, a brick and mortar. Um, we have co-working, we had a conference center, we have a cafe lounge, and then of course, a copy center and we have our offices there. So we had a actual building uh, that was owned by the Dallas Medical um, Center VA that we worked with them for 18 months to design and build. And, and last year we actually kind of got pushed out of that space, but but God I always say, and I am spiritual, if other people aren't, you know, that's that's totally up to them, but I am. We were invited by Comerica Business HQ to be their first community partner. So we're gonna have co-working there. We have offices, we have access to their conference room and we have space for my staff at their new building, which is in the background here. So, you know, we may have lost that, but we got a new setting. And what we do is four signature programs. So we have our next level business transformation, which started out as eight weeks, went to 12, and now it's a six month co-working cohort. So our clients will actually get free co-working space for six months. Did you say free? It's free. That's a part of the program. They get oh. free co-working space for six months. And during that six months, it is a weighted program. So based on the work that they do on their business, they can graduate with up to a $5,000 grant. So here are the things that they have to do. Um, of course, they have to come to work. Your points for that. They have to attend their sessions, and we provide about a hundred hours of technical assistance. So there's technical assistance around finances, there's technical assistance around uh, technology, marketing, legal, insurance, credit development, um, accounting. We also they have to put a, together a pitch deck at the end of the program to tell us. Like where, how did they transform their business? What things were most impactful for them? Um, and then we're also going to make sure these women are registered with the SBA. So the SBA registration for women-owned small business, as well as the veteran registration with the SBA is both free and both handled by the SBA. So when they come into our program, if they haven't gone through that process, we're going to make sure they go through that process while they're with us. And so that whole time they're with us, it's about, how are you growing your business? How are you increasing your revenue and building your workforce? Because if you looked at our vision, it's to position this group to be our nation's leading revenue generators and employers. So everything we do has to be pushing in that direction. How are we helping you do more with your revenues? And how are we helping you grow your business workforce? And then probably around um, month four, we're going to help them with crowdfunding just so they know how to look at people investing in them. Um, so they'll set up a crowdfunding platform and they'll have a goal for that. And then they'll come out. Here's the good thing. When they complete our program, if they did well, they can apply for an additional six months of free co-working. So they can get an entire year 
of co-working and support if they're serious about working on their business. And I always say they have to be ready, willing, and able. Got to be ready to do the hard work. You got to be willing to do the hard work. And then you got to be able to pull back from your business. Pull back from working in your business to work on your business. So you have to be able to really do the hard work of transforming your business. I would love to see them minimally double their revenues, but I think some of them could do better than that when they really understand what they don't know and start to put these different strategies into play. Then we have our Financial First program, which is supported by the SBA. It's a part of their Community Navigator Grant. We are a tier three, so it's a community program for the Dallas County community. And it's overseen, or our hub is managed by the debt. And so our Financial First program is a weekend, two weekends, two full Saturdays from eight to five, and we don't play. You're working that entire time, except for one hour for lunch and a couple little breaks. But we dig into their finances. So we look at their profit and loss statement. We look at their cash flow. We look at their balance sheet. And we make sure, one, they understand it. Do you understand what you're looking at and what's supposed to be here? And then, two, can you manipulate it? Where are your profits? How can you increase them? Where are your losses? How do you decrease them? How do you balance out your cash flow? And then do you understand your balance sheet and does it actually balance? Because that's why it's called a balance sheet. And most people balance people don't. Don't balance, okay? And so then they come back the next Saturday and it's a week in between and they pitch what they learned again. So for me, it's all about impact. If we're not impacting, then we're not doing what we need to be doing. So they come back and they say, hey, this is what I learned and this is what I'm going to change. So I've got increased profits over here. I'm going to decrease loss over here. I'm going to balance out my cash flow so I don't have this up and down. Or maybe you're seasonal. So then what do you do when you're not in your season? How are you working on your business and getting ready for your seasonal period? Um, But you need to know that's who you are and not think that, hey, I'm a business that's all year round when really your business is seasonal. And that's Mm -hmm. when you make your money. Um, And then understanding your balance sheet. And women and minority particularly do not always document their equity. So when someone looks at the value of their business, it looks like there is no value. But meanwhile, they put $10,000, $20,000 into it, but they haven't documented it. They haven't put it in their, put it in their equity. So the, val- so the business is undervalued. And then last but not least, we do our NLBT Fast Tracks to Contract because I believe public and private opportunities are critical for contracting. So we bring in a consultant that literally takes them through the process of identifying and writing a legitimate contract. Now, it may be a contract that's coming up. It may be a contract you miss, but you know it's coming up again because these contracts are three to five years. Or it could be a contract that's ending, like you missed it last year, but now it's ending and you want to get to the table. So you are going to write a real contract. The consultant is going to work with you around everything you need to do. And then you're going to have access to this toolkit of templates and things. So we're teaching you how to fish so you can continue to fish for yourself. And then we want, they stay in what we call a cohort circle for a whole year where they come together once a month and they talk about, hey, who's subcontracting? Who needs support? Who's going out the grant? Who can partner up? So they keep this front and center. We don't just check a box and kick them to the curb, but you want to keep this front and center so that you can continue to build out your group. So those are the foundational things we really believe our businesses need. And this year we're going to stay in our um, lane. Because during COVID, we served everybody, Mm -hmm. okay, newbies. 
But really, businesses coming to us need to be at at least 50K. They need to be able to prove that somebody is buying what they're selling. And then we can help you scale. But we can't help you scale something that doesn't exist. That is true. What, I, I mean, that that is some, I mean, I wish everybody got that kind of training, period. I mean, every for the most part, every business needs that kind of stuff. Uh, but what I also like, though, is how you kept saying, you make them do this. You make them do that. They have to do this. They can't just sit back and because you get a lot of programs, they just sit back, they just read stuff and they're like, okay, next chapter or something like that. Most people don't learn that way. Uh, probably over 75% actually have to practice what has been taught to them before they are good at it. So, and that's, you know, I think that's part of the reason why our schools are broken, but um and I wish they would teach even half the stuff in school because this is more valuable than teaching schools anymore. But well, goal setting, decision making, mm -hmm. risk taking, delegating, these are all soft but, skills that we don't put enough weight on, and people come out and they don't have them. And they need those as their foundation to do all of this other stuff. But what but what you're doing is by make, putting them in the spotlight, make them pitch, do a pitch deck. You know, make, make more how to write a contract. That's stuff that, I mean, even our skills, like that's biggest fear in the world is public speaking and <laughs> making a pitch. I mean, I, I, I'm, I love public speaking for the most part. I took it in college. I killed it. Um, I mean, it was all topics I liked, but whatever. But, you know, it's, <laughs> that's the biggest fear with people. And if, and that's where a lot of people get, can't get in the comfort zone. We, you can show them everything, but you're making, you're pushing them to actually, do it and like just you know present themselves before they put put themselves out there. So it that is like all these this whole program. I man, I wish it's I would have heard about this. Learned. It's lessons learned, Stephen. Our 2021 group, you know, we kind of let them be very free, um, and we didn't make them do a lot of the things that we made our other cohort do. And what we learned was that these things are important. So mm -hmm. mentoring was as you requested it, but mentoring has to be required because you may not realize you need something. Um, we didn't do evaluations after every session, um, but that's important because maybe I don't have the right speaker. So if too many of my people didn't get what they need, not only do I now need to look at a different presenter that can bring forward what they need, but now I also have to feel that need before we get too far along. So if you Got tell it. me you took a class on marketing, but you still really don't understand how to put together a marketing campaign. Okay, we missed the mark. But now we got to fill that gap. We still have to teach you how to do a marketing campaign. We can't, we can't just go, ooh, mm -hmm. and next. You still need that skill. So we have to assess these things at every single step of the way and make sure we are meeting our expectations for the business owners and their expectations for what they need to get to transform their business. So it's not just what we want, but it's also what they need. And we weren't doing that in 2021. So this year when we come back, we're making sure every step of the way, here's your evaluation. Tell me how you're gonna use this. If you're not using this, tell me why you're not using this. Do you already have it? Or what is the deal here? So we make sure they're getting it and they don't get lost in this process. And that's one of the reasons why we stretched it out because every week they were getting something new. So when did they have application? When did they have time to apply it? So now, you know, you'll have a week and then you'll have a week of application. Then you'll have another session and then you'll have a week and then you'll have another session and then you'll have a week. 
So you have some time to think it through and start thinking about how am I going to apply this to my business and use it to transform my business. And so it's, it's not this rush. And, and I love that because I think we all want to check a box. Even our funders want us to check a box and serve, you know, 100 million people. But where is the real impact? Where's the real impact? So I'm so excited this year to do less people, but be more impactful. Yeah. And, and I like that you're doing that. Well, basically an after action review. So, but. Um, and, and corrective actions. Your after action review and then your corrective actions yep. that go with that. Like, we can't just review and go, okay, that was good. Okay, well, what are we going to do to make it better next time? Well, most of these people that are teaching marketing out here, strategy coaches, consultant, consulting, they're not doing that. They're stuck in their ways. They're like, all right, that's it. Whatever. It's it's worked for 10 people, but hey, what about the 100 that failed over here? So it's like, if it's not work, it's not going to work for everybody, of course. I mean, no program is going to work for everybody. But if you're not hitting big numbers and success, then why are you not changing the way you're doing stuff? So, well, that's the it, other thing. We use all business owners. So, I am mm -hmm. not the teacher. Somebody oh. said that to me before, and I was like, oh, no, my background is in organizational development and strategy, mm -hmm. and I stay in my lane. We bring mm -hmm. in business owners, either local or national. They do a virtual or they do it in person. And we find people who are truly successful at what they're doing. They're doing it. They're not telling you some theoretical stuff. This is stuff that they have done. They've experienced it. They know the pros and cons, and they're sharing with you their experience. So we bring in business owners, and what we're doing with them now is that they sign a contract with us. They do our session. They provide mentoring, about you know 30 minutes or so with each one of our clients. But then what we do is they become our go-to for that service. So if you came okay. and you did a legal session, we ask you to contract with us to do so many hours of training, so many hours of mentoring, and then give us a discounted rate. But with that discounted rate, everybody that knocks on our door for a year and says they need legal services, we're referring them to you. Okay. So we want those people that are giving to us to get something back because it's business. You, you're running a business. You're not running a nonprofit. You're not giving it away. So our mm -hmm. marketing specialists, our sales specialists, our, um, our legal, our insurance people, everybody that comes to the table this year will get a contract. And that contract will say what they're giving us, but we'll also know they're going to go up on our website as our referral for this particular program. And we have set rates with them. So our people are not going to be like, oh, when they charge me, you know, uh, $300 an hour. No, we have set rates for our people for that whole year. And everybody that knocks on our door and needs that service is going to be referred to you. And that's how thank you for, for coming in and sharing your expertise and, and being a leader in your industry. That's, that's good to hear. Uh, um, so, all right. So this is an awesome program. I'm not going to lie. I, I really hope this gets way bigger because a lot of people need a lot, a lot of people need this. Um, how do people get a hold of you? Are right, on social media, website? Um, do you have a direct line or anything like that? Yeah, you know, we try to be completely consistent. So mm -hmm. everything is veteran women SEC. If you put at veteran women SEC in your phone or in your in your Google search, our website and all of our social media. 
is going to come up. And we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, Twitter. And I think we're also on TikTok. I'm not the big mm-hmm. TikToker, but I think we're also on TikTok. And all of it is Veteran Women SEC. So you put that ad in there and everything about us is going to come up. If you go to news, you'll see all of the news about the work that we're doing. If you go to images, you'll see our flyers and all of the people that we've been partnering with. Um, but if you just do that general, we usually come up on the first page, which I love that our SEO is very well done. One of the biggest things, um, Stephen, that I really want to get out there is that we get a lot of local funding. We don't get enough, but most of our funding is local, which means that our national women uh, don't have access to a lot of our programming. So one okay. of the big things that we're doing this year, there are three big things we're doing this year that we want to share with the public. One, our board is expiring this year and we're doing a whole new board. So if you're interested, you have the expertise and you want to get connected to an organization that's going places, this is one of the places you might want to consider the VWEC. And we tell everybody in 2023, the VWEC is the place to be. So get connected. Number two is we are trying to get more national partners so that we can serve all of our women because all of this funding we're talking about this year, it's, it's, it's North Texas based. So we do two pitch competitions, Women's Veterans Day, um, June 12th in Texas. We do a $10,000 pitch competition. It's open to everybody because it's about the brilliance of women veterans across the state of Texas. So you can have an idea or a multi-million dollar business and we've had winners across that spectrum. But our national pitch competition is open to women across the United States. And right now the cash prize, 50K. And we're trying to double that. So if you want to invest in women veteran and you want to see them grow, this is the place to put your money. In 2021, we put back almost 100 grand directly back in these women through grants and pitch competitions. So we need more national partners so that we can serve all of our women and they don't feel left out. So of course they can get mentoring, but most of our programs that come with money, that money is is designated to the North Texas area. And so we wanna make sure that other women can get some of this money because all of my programs come with money. So Financial First comes with 1,550 grants for commercial credit. So you can build your commercial credit. The cohort comes with up to $5,000 you can earn through the work you do on your business, okay? Our technology tactics, which I didn't talk about, which won't launch until the summer, that program comes with a $500 grant at each level. So we teach them how to do a CRM and they have to run a, a campaign. The best campaign gets $500 to pay for the CRM. We teach them about business analytics and they have to set up a dashboard. The best dashboard gets $500 to pay for whatever they did to build that. And then the last thing is automation automate these things so you're not doing all this manual stuff that's sucking up your time again five hundred dollar grant for the best program and guess who's picking it not us the the participants they're deciding who had the best program so i'm not picking who had the best program but the participants are saying wow that person really got it right they did i want to do what they did they should get the five hundred dollars got it but that is all local money And so that's got to go to local clients. So please, if you're national and you want to support women, veteran, entrepreneurs, active duty, reservists, and military spouse across the nation with their entrepreneurial development, think about a donation to us because we're doing it, but we're, we're limited to how much we can do. 
Yeah, definitely need to get the word out more. Definitely for Nashville. I, this has got to be one of the best programs out there. Um, so I don't, I've never heard of a program that went so in depth into everything like this and so long too, for some of it, not all of it, of course, but a six month long program. And you're basically schooling them on how to become bigger and basically richer. So, and the way, the way you've talked about how you just walk them through everything is so deliberate and it's, it's nice to hear that because instead of just sitting there and be like, go fly bird, fly. They're not flying. I know. I know. We have a colleague, I, think, I think they're in Tennessee or Nashville, but they have a year-long program, and I love it. And the, the reports that they made that they were doing millions in revenues because they put the time into these businesses. They didn't run them through something and then check a box or run them through something and give them a check. Even our pitch people, they have to give us a growth strategy, and then they have to give us a business plan and a budget before we hand them a check. So we don't just give people a check and go, hey, go spend some money. No, we want to make sure you're using this money to grow your business. And we want to be a part of that growth process. So even our pitch competitions, we don't just throw people to the wind. They have a pitch deck they have to do. They get a coach. They have to come to pitch training for about six weeks. It's it's not a quickie. We don't just you know throw them in and say, get some votes on Facebook. You got to go through the whole process of learning how to do a pitch you got to pitch to us before you ever pitch to our judges. And if we don't approve you, you never go on stage. And then if you get the money, you got to have a real plan. And we keep tapping in and saying, hey, how are you doing? What are you doing? Do you need us? What do you need? Because a lot of people just want the money. But if you really want to grow your business, you want that technical assistance. You don't yeah. just want the money. Yeah, you don't want the instant money looks nice on the top side, but on the back side, you need the training, especially with technology today. And all the analytical stuff and systems that you have to put in place now to help you. So you can pull back away from work a little bit and concentrate on what you need to. So it's just, yeah. And it's uh, the technology that has come out just past year alone. It's just, it's crazy. Crazy. It now, really is. And now chat GPT is just. Even we're trying helping. to catch up. You know, yeah. we're, and we're teaching you, but we're trying to catch up because I believe we need to be the model. So we're like out there making sure, hey, what are we using? What are we tapping into? So that when businesses come in, we can we can demonstrate by our own behavior. Hey, this is what you need to be looking at. And this is how you need to be using this. So it's so important that you lead by example and not just you're out there telling people to do stuff that you yourself can't do. So I'm a real... You know, we, we, the BWEC, we have so many things we want to improve because we want to be, we want to lead by example. So we're constantly working on ourselves. Well, I'm glad to hear all this. I really am. Um, I'm, so, I'm so happy you're doing this now. I'm happy you didn't do the audition now. So <laughs> this, this seems way more fulfilling. <laughs> and who, the nonprofit on the side. Well, you, oh, I don't know. Or you could be super rich millionaire be kicking back drinking martinis or whatever in bermuda or the bahamas or something i don't know i mean that's all of our dream later on down the road but exactly i got one more question and it's just um since you're from the dallas area and i just moved down here about a year and a half ago what's your favorite restaurant in dfw area you know what i i'm gonna give you one that that probably everybody can find. I actually like saltgrass. Saltgrass. Okay. Yeah, they. Um, I, 
I'm a I'm a meat eater now. I used to be a ve- mm-hmm. a, a vegetarian, not a vegan, for well, about almost side. ten years, man. And then when I moved, it was so hard for me to find fish. You know, just I had to cook all the time because that was the only you know real meat that I ate. And then at some point, I just was like, you know what? I'm I'm gonna start eating meat again. I, I want to go back. I I think it's a good opportunity to limit how much meat you take in. But I like Saltgrass. I I think it's a great restaurant. I like the atmosphere. I think their menu is very diverse. Um, and it's like a um, you know, like a franchise. So you can find them all over the place. You don't have to just come to Dallas to find them. You can pretty much find them all over the place. There should be one not far from you. I don't um, think. And try it out and see see if you like it. I don't think we have one up here. This yeah. Um, pretty sure uh, I'll have to look it up. But yeah, we're just kind of looking for some new <laughs> restaurants know, because because you don't know about it. You may not even pay attention. Be like, try that out one Sunday or a Saturday night. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do because I I think it's a great. um, And they're not one of our sponsors. We'd love to have you guys as a sponsor. (laughs) I mean, it's just a it's a a place I like to go and eat. I just I enjoy it. Yeah, I'll definitely try anything first time. I tried my wife's type of food, and surprisingly, (laughs) she's Navajo, so I tried Navajo food. And it was delicious, so, but very greasy. Yeah, so, I also but. like Japanese, so I'm trying to find me a really good Japanese restaurant. I had one in New York that I love. I'm trying to mm. find a really good one here. And I like Italian, but I haven't oh, yes. found yes. a favorite Italian restaurant yet. And I had a favorite rest- Italian restaurant in New York um, that I used to always go to in Bay Ridge. Um but now I gotta I gotta find me another like really you know consistent Italian restaurant that I'd like to go to. Well, you and my wife would definitely get along quite a bit because she loves Japanese food. And ever since South Korea, I cannot stand any kind of that food over there. It's just, what? No, nope. oh, she finally got that. me to try sushi. She finally got me to try sushi, and I liked it some, not much. Finally, so. So you know what? I don't I don't really do sushi. I like my food cooked, but I like the cooked Japanese stuff. I like mm-hmm. my food cooked. So I'm not a, I'm not a sushi fan, but everything else that they do, I really love the flavor and and their nigamaki mm-hmm. and and um the teriyaki. I I just love that whole that whole Japanese atmosphere. Um, all a lot of my friends eat sushi. That's not my thing, but I like everything else that they do. Um, so I like that. Well, all right then. Well, we're gonna wrap this up. I appreciate it so much that you came on. Uh, you have a wonderful program. I'm really hoping that the sky's the limit on it, and I really, I'm really hoping you get this out there in a short time, actually, because people need this. And I don't know if people are watching around the world what's going on right now with the banks and everything, but it's you know always prepare for the worst, no matter how well you think you're you are doing. So. So this is the next episode of the Swan Dingo Files, and I appreciate everybody joining. My guest, Miss V, thank God she not take the audition. She would not be here with us today <laughs> helping nonprofit and helping female veterans. Everybody have a good night, and we'll see you all next time. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swan Dingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swan Dingoing.